Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see you here this evening, and you receive a very warm welcome in the name of our risen Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you're joining with us on the live stream, you're, you're especially welcome. I've got a few notices that uh, I need to give to you. I'm not sure whether the owner of this will be here this evening, but a ring was found at the end of this morning's service towards what to me is the left rear of the church. So if you know the owner or can make a good guess at who they might be, do let us know because we'd like to get it returned to them. They might be quite anxious about where it is. So that was left this morning. 
Also mentioned this morning are the Bible reading programs. There's copies of these on the table at the back. Please do take a copy. If it's not something you've done before, then I'm sure uh, Tim uh, or or myself would be happy to explain to you how you can use a Bible reading program during the year to help you get to grips with the Scriptures. Um, If you've used one before, then you'll know exactly what to do. But do please take a copy of the Bible reading program. Then just a reminder that we're meeting for prayer on Thursday at 7.45 here at the church. That's on Thursday to meet together to pray. And then if I could just mention one thing uh, that uh, I would value your prayers for, and that is on Friday, Saturday and Sunday this week, I'll be involved with a conference for members of the Ugandan Air Force. These are brothers and some sisters in the Lord who are keen Christians who want to be able to help Others in the armed forces in Uganda have a better grasp of the scriptures and to be able to understand what God is saying through his word. And so they'll be attending a conference in a place called Entebbe. Um, I'm not going to be there. I shall be joining them via Zoom. Um, But if you just remember that in your prayers, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, as important as it is to give notices, we're not really here for those, are we? We're here to worship the living God. And we perhaps all are prepared to acknowledge and accept that we're we're living in, in dark and spiritually difficult days. Times which probably cause us a great deal of disturbance inwardly and distress. So it's important that as we enter a new year, we remind ourselves of the greatness and the sovereignty of our God. This is what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning From ancient times, what is still to come? I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. Let's stand together in the singing of our first hymn that reminds us of the greatness and the transcendence of our God, immortal, invisible God only wise. Let's stand together to sing. Most holy, most glorious. 
Let's bow before our God in prayer, shall we? Let us pray. Our great and glorious Father in heaven, uh, we bow to worship you, acknowledging that uh, we are just mere creatures, but that you are the uncreated one, the one who has eternally been in existence, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting the great creator God who brought all things into being and holds all things in your hands. You're this great and mighty and sovereign God and yet you are also the God who is gracious and merciful. You are the God who is holy and pure and in light and approachable and yet you are the God who says to us, draw near to me. And I will draw near to you. And so our gracious God, we would come into your presence this evening, into your very throne room, and not in any merit of our own, but trusting only in the merits of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness and his perfect and sufficient work on behalf of sinners. And acknowledging that though because of our sin we do not deserve to draw near, yet we can come as we look to him, as we trust in his redeeming blood, and as we confess before you that though we are unworthy and undeserving, yet we can know your peace and your pardon through faith in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and accepted in him uh, 
we can draw near to you. And so, loving, gracious God, hear us, we pray, as we come to worship you in all that we say, as we sing, as we read your word, as we pray, as we hear the preaching of the word. May all, gracious God, be done in the enabling of God the Holy Spirit and with that cleansing in the precious blood of our Savior that they would be acceptable to you and bring glory and honor to our Savior's great name. So, loving Lord, hear us, we pray, as we draw near in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing once again a hymn that's particularly appropriate for the beginning of a new year. It's a hymn that rehearses some of the aspects of what it means to know God who is sovereign over all and in control of the big things of the universe and also the small things of our lives. God of the ages. We'll stand together to sing.
please take your seats. We're going to turn to the scriptures now and to the book of Acts and to the 27th chapter. Acts chapter 27. If you've got a copy of the uh, Bluey Green Church Bibles, it's page 1124. And uh, if, like me, you prefer the larger print version, then it's page 1739. We're going to break into what is part of a a lengthy piece of of narrative, of uh, historical record... Um, and because it's quite lengthy, I've, I've taken the liberty of, um, of editing it slightly so that we won't read the whole of the section because we're actually going to read through to chapter 28 and verse 16. And so to help you uh, with the reading, on the screen you'll have a picture of a map uh, which covers the narrative that we're looking at. And at the top of the screen, you will see that the, the Bible verses are indicated as well. And you'll see that uh, I'm going to be moving through the reading just a little bit more quickly than the full narrative that we've got in the passage. I hope you don't find that too distracting, um, but it's for the sake of time and to make sure that we focus on some of the, the important things in connection with the message this evening. As we read through... I I will tell you when I'm jumping to another verse, um, but hope not to do that too obtrusively. And and just to set some sort of context for this, some of you will know that the Apostle Paul, after three main missionary journeys that covered a, a period of several years, knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew this because God the Holy Spirit had told him that that's what he should do. And so he went to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he was arrested because he was said to be the cause of a disturbance and a riot. And ultimately, he was taken to the governor in in Caesarea, and there he was held under arrest while they decided what to do with him. And he had two major opportunities to testify before two uh, Roman governors. But in the end, the decision was taken, and this was all within the will and purpose of God, to send Paul to Rome and there to have to face the emperor. And so this narrative is an edited account of Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome under the guard of a Roman centurion who we're told is called Julius. So let's turn to the passage now and begin to read at verse 1 of chapter 27. When it was decided that we, and Luke here is narrating something in which he was an eyewitness, he was involved in these events and this journey, So when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. 
The next day, we landed at Sidon. And Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we'd sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Verse 18. 16. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night... An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have done without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Verse 42. 
the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Chapter 28 and verse 11. After three months on the island of Malta, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And this is the word of the Lord. And our brother John Wilcox is going to come now and lead us in prayer. Thank you, John. Right, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that you reminded us again of your greatness as we've read in your word that you are the only true and living God. There is no gods beside you. We have thought of your attributes and been able to sing of your greatness and your power. And uh, we thank you again, Lord, and we come with thankful hearts that we know you as our Heavenly Father. We thank you that although you are so great and so holy and so lifted up, that we can come into your presence in this way. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity again to worship you and to praise you and to share together in fellowship and to share together in worshipping your holy name. And we look forward to the new year, our God, and for the many times we'll be able to meet together as a company of your people. And we thank you for the joy that it brings to our hearts and the encouragement as we are able to meet and to share with one another in your things. But we know, Lord, there'll be those who uh, will not be able to come or not come very often, and we remembered many this morning and we remember some more this evening as we uh, bring them uh, to you our God uh, who perhaps will not be able to share in fellowship uh, as much as they would want to and we pray for Dave Harvey and uh, for Margaret Beach with their ongoing health problems and pray for them Lord that you'll uh, enable them to gather more often and we pray for Others, some of the very elderly, Les Hubble and Peggy Asson and Doc Baldwin, for John Greaves and for our sister Jenny Christopher. And uh, 
we know, Lord, that they are not able to gather with us at the moment, but we do pray that in the new, this new year that there will be opportunity for them to come and to meet with us, to have the joy and the fellowship of being with one another. We do pray, Lord, for this year which we've just started and we do ask for your presence and your blessing to be upon the church during the year. We pray for all the different activities and the ministries that they will be going. We pray, Lord, for uh, the young people and the children as, as they come along and meet. We pray for mothers and toddlers and uh, we pray for our uh, prayer meetings that Lord, we'll be able to join together in your presence in prayer. We pray for the home groups and, uh, and uh, for uh, all the outreach that uh, we'll be able to do in your name during the coming year. And how we pray, Lord, that your blessing will be on us, upon us as a church. We pray, Lord, for the pastors and the elders as they plan and a program and plan the different ministries and ministry for the coming year. And we pray your blessing to be upon them, that they might know the power of your spirit in their lives as they seek to lead the church in the coming days. And Lord, we pray for outreach in this country of ours. We thank you, Lord, for passion for life and for those who are organizing it this year and for hundreds of churches that have already joined and uh, for the time and, and uh, that they are going to uh, give to outreach in, in the different cities and towns where they, where they are, where they worship. And we, we do pray, our God, that this, this outreach for you, this passion for life, many lives and hearts will be brought to the Saviour, to the saving knowledge of sins forgiven. So we pray, Lord, that for the sex, success of that uh, operation, passion for life. Lord, at the beginning of this year, we would just pray for all those who we support in this country who are serving you, who, uh, who uh, uh, bring the gospel to different types of people, for those at Birmingham City Mission and caring for life and just caring and uh, for Tom Martin in, uh, in uh, West Medic. We bring these activities before you, our God, and seek your blessing to be upon them as we seek to support them financially and in prayer. We pray for uh, those who we support who are in different countries. And Lord, we know the difficulties that there seems to be in many places and how your, your word is uh, so often ridiculed and uh, people are, uh, are punished for preaching your word uh, in the open air and in churches. And we pray, Lord, for those who are suffering persecution at this time and uh, seek, Lord, that in this new year you will ease the persecution that uh, those who uh, serve you uh, feel so often and we would remember Lord the uh, uh, Albanian evangelical mission who we support and uh, Taste who we support in Nigeria and SGA in Eastern Europe and Whitcliffe Bible 
translators. These uh, uh, works of service for you, we would uh, bring them to you and seek success for them in this coming year. We pray for Gerald this weekend as he uh, attends this conference on Zoom uh, in the, to uh, Pastor Training International. And we pray that that will be a successful conference and uh, that the folks in, uh, uh, in, in Tabby will uh, be able to hear your word and be blessed uh, and uh, that the work there in Uganda will grow uh, through this coming year. We pray, Lord, that you will help us as we seek to grow in you in this coming year as your people. We thank you again, Lord, that we can uh, come into your presence, although you, you are so high and mighty and so lifted up. We thank you that you accept uh, people like us into your presence. We thank you that although you are so great and so mighty, you're also a God who loves this world and so loved the world that you gave your son. And we thank you for speaking to our hearts. We thank you for the trust that we have in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. And we do pray, Lord, as a church of your people this coming year, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of yourself and that your name in this place and in this village of ours will be praised and worshipped and honoured and glorified. As we come with these our prayers and our praises to you tonight in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, if you haven't kept your Bibles open to Acts 27, I'd like you to return to that passage. You'll find it helpful uh, to be able to, to follow the message from that uh, chapter and on into chapter 28. And um, the verses of Scripture that I particularly would like you to notice... Uh, oh, we're going to sing, aren't we? I forgot we were going to do that. There we go. We need to sing. And uh, this is a hymn which um, I understand not so many of you know. Um, but our singers are going to sing it for us, the first verse and the first chorus. And then we'll go back to the beginning. We can stand up and join in with them. Okay, does that make sense? They'll sing the first verse and the chorus. And then we'll all stand up and they'll go back to the beginning and we'll sing it together. Thank you.
Now, would you please turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Obviously, with a long passage like that, it's often helpful to have a hook uh, to hang the message on. And I'd particularly like you to take notice of verses 24 and 25 in chapter 27, where we're told, an angel of God said to Paul, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And as a theme for this evening, uh, we're going to think particularly about the importance of a faithful personal testimony in challenging times. The importance of a faithful personal testimony in challenging times. I'm sure that you've read on a number of occasions or heard people say on various occasions that our life can be likened to a journey. It has a beginning, it's got a present experience that we're going through, and it's got an end. And that's very true, isn't it? And I like to think, and I'm sure many of you will have heard this before as well, that our our journey is rather like taking a train journey when you've got your back to the engine. You've, You've bought your ticket, you know what your destination is, you can see where you're coming from because as you look out of the window of the carriage, you can see the places that you've passed going by. But you can't see what's coming immediately because your back's to the engine. And so often, life for the Christian is like that. We know where we're going. And uh, we can look back over where we've been and we can see God's gracious hand in, in all that's transpired. But we don't know what the immediate future holds. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, We certainly don't know what this year is going to bring. But we can look back with thankfulness. We can see the evidences of God's goodness and faithfulness in the things that have happened through this past year. And we've the assurance that our ultimate destination is going to be safely reached. Remember, we have those lovely words in Jude verse 24 that the Lord will present us before his presence, his glorious presence, without fault and with great joy. And there's a sense in which Paul's journey is a bit like this, isn't it? He knows where he's going, Rome. He knows he's going to get there because God's told him that he's got to testify before the emperor. He knows what he's come through over his years of mission service for the Lord. But he doesn't know what's going to transpire in this journey. We have the advantage of being able to look back over the whole story as we've read parts of it this evening. But Paul didn't know all that was going to take place. 
And in this journey, he's accompanied by Julius, a centurion. And Julius, to coin a phrase, is in the same boat. And he too doesn't know what's going to happen, what's going to unfold. But he has the personal testimony of the Apostle Paul unfolding before his very eyes as each day unfolds. Perhaps as we think about what we're looking at in this passage this evening, I could ask you two questions. The first one is a question if you're a Christian, if you would say that you're a believer, you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Looking back, what persuaded you to believe? Is there someone for whom you will always be grateful for the testimony that their life bore and that really spoke to you? Some of you might have come across the singer-songwriter Michael Card, and he has a, a lovely phrase about his grandfather in whom he says he saw the light of Christ. And that was a turning point for him in his experience. Who are you thankful for? And if you're not yet a Christian, what is holding you back? Perhaps you've observed what God is doing in and through the lives of members of your family or people that you come into contact with from time to time. And you can see that they have something different. You know there's something about them that you haven't got. What will convince you? What will convince you? Are you sceptically waiting to be convinced by something special? When in the ordinary, everyday things of life, even those traumatic times in life, God can be speaking to you through the testimony of those who are his own. Let's just think for a moment about this centurion. We know that he's a Roman centurion, and we know that his name is Julius. And uh, that's worth noting, isn't it? Because not everybody who is significant in the scriptures has their name mentioned. The centurion in Capernaum, who we looked at uh, last time I had the privilege of speaking to you, uh, we don't know his name. But we know this centurion's name. And we also know that he was a member of the Imperial Regiment, or what is sometimes referred to as the Augustan Regiment. This was some elite corps, so he was fairly well advanced as a soldier, highly regarded, promoted to a particular responsibility. He was also held in high regard by the Roman authorities. He was the one chosen to transport this group of believers, along perhaps with some other soldiers, to take them safely to Rome. No straightforward task in those days. And he is the centurion who, like Paul, experienced this terrible two-week Mediterranean storm. I can, be, I can remember being in a, a ship in the Bay of Biscay on the way to northern Spain. And we were on that vessel for about two days. It was awful. To be two weeks in a storm, I can't begin to imagine what that would have been like. 
But as far as we know, that this centurion, unlike the centurion from Capernaum mentioned in Luke's gospel, or unlike the centurion Cornelius mentioned in Acts chapter 10, this centurion was not a God-fearing Gentile. He's an intriguing character. What did he make of the Apostle Paul? What did he make of the Apostle Paul's God? Well, we'll think about that, in a sense, incidentally, as we follow the journey. And I've put the map up again on the screen there. I don't know how good your Mediterranean geography is. It's probably not quite up to following in New Testament terms. Uh, But we've got a general sense, probably, of the way in which this this journey unfolds. Uh, You might be wondering why the boats change colour, and that's because there's three different boats involved in the journey. And you can get a sense of how this journey unfolded by looking at the map. And we have to say that the journey started relatively straightforwardly. It was only once they arrived off the island of Crete, and uh, for those of you who are not entirely sure, it's that island there. It was only when they arrived off the island of Crete that they really got into trouble. By this time, it was late in the year, probably the month of October, when shipping in the Mediterranean in those days was a very much more precarious business. We know that it's about that time of the year because verse 9 tells us that it was after the Day of Atonement and that comes in that later part of September, early October. We also know that the Apostle Paul had great experience of traveling backwards and forwards across the Mediterranean. Some Bible scholars have estimated that in his travels he covered 3,500 miles by sea. That's quite a distance, isn't it? Probably on 11 different voyages. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 tells us that he had at least three times when he was shipwrecked. And he also spent a night and a day in the open sea. So when the Apostle Paul told Julius and the pilot of the ship that it wasn't really a very sensible thing to put out to sea at this time of year, this wasn't some landlubber talking out of turn. He had great experience of what it was like to travel on the Mediterranean. And his advice was very wise. But the centurion... We're told in verse 11, listened to the pilot and the owner of the ship. And presumably the majority view of those others on board. And they took the decision to sail. It was the wrong decision. And that was when their troubles really began. As they entered into that storm, they ended up throwing the cargo and the tackle and everything else overboard And ultimately, the ship was going to be smashed to pieces as it ran aground on a sandbar off the coast of Malta. Now, during this terrifying experience, as we've said, the Apostle Paul's testimony was something that Julius was able to witness at first hand. And what did he see in the Apostle Paul? Well, well, firstly, we could mention the fact that clearly Paul had a personal relationship with God. 
we see this particularly in the way in which Paul speaks about that relationship with God. As Paul also prays, he even gives thanks, gives grace, doesn't he, in verse 35, for the food that they're going to share. He shares about the fact that he has an angel visit him. He shares about the fact that he's had a word from God. There was no doubting that Paul had a living, vital relationship with God. Secondly, I want you to notice that Paul was so calm and confident and authoritative when everybody else was in distress and turmoil. The, the crew at one stage tried to get off the boat to save their own lives. And the soldiers decided to kill all the prisoners to save their own lives as well. Because they knew that it was important that they brought their prisoners um, ultimately to Rome. They were in a state. But Paul remained calm and confident in that storm. Thirdly, you'll notice that he was able to bring words of encouragement from God. In verse 22, he says... No one will be lost. Well, they may have thought that was a bit far-fetched in view of the storm. And then in verse 34, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. That wasn't Paul being a positive thinker. That was Paul knowing what God had said to him. And that he was able to have absolute confidence as he spoke to those on the boat. You'll notice his thoughtful and wise advice. Verses 34 and 36, as he, he told them to take some food, uh, and they were all encouraged. And that wonderful mixture of a spiritual attitude combined with practical sense. He warned them, and yet he didn't give up on them. He found ways to encourage them and to be a help to them. Paul and presumably Luke and Aristarchus, the, Mar uh, the Macedonian who was with him, their testimony stood out very significantly in the midst of this storm. Uh, and it reminds me of a, a story, a true story that many of you will probably know. And that is of the time in 1736, and by saying that I don't suggest that you were of course alive then, but you will have read the story about John Wesley. John Wesley, who was traveling to North America on a ship that got caught up in a terrible storm, and he feared for his life. But on board the ship, there were some Moravian Christians. Uh, let me just read a little bit to you about that story. It says, during the voyage, there was a terrible storm and a genuine, genuine fear that all would be lost. However, John noticed that there were certain passengers who seemed unperturbed and remained steadfastly confident in their trust in God. They were German Christians from Moravia. So powerful was their testimony that John was deeply challenged by it. He knew that he did not have the same confidence and assurance. It was a significant influence on his life that ultimately led him to true faith. In fact, immediately after his conversion, John travelled to Hernhut in Germany to meet up with and learn from the Moravian Christians. 
That event happened before John came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, true faith. He actually thought he was a Christian. But it was when he saw how these Moravian Christians coped with that terrible storm that he realized that his faith was not like theirs. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Because although uh, we didn't read it, the opening part of chapter 28 reminds us of the draw, drama that unfolded on the island of Malta. When they were collecting fire for the, uh, wood for the fire, Paul was bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake, and everybody expected him to drop down dead. But there were no ill effects at all. And then subsequently... He went on, along with Luke, to be involved in not only the healing of the local official's father, um, but also many on the island who had various sicknesses and diseases. And then, of course, Julius witnessed on the last leg of the journey, as they traveled from Puteoli to Rome, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 28, the many Christians who Paul encountered people Paul had never met before and yet he opened their homes to him people who were kind to him people who gave him board and lodging and helped him along his way people who came from Rome to meet him so that he would find his way into the city people who shared Paul's faith but had never previously met him all these things impacted upon Julius on this journey and others too and yet we've no indication that it had any lasting impact so why does Luke devote so much space in his account to this particular story it's lengthy isn't it we saw it was long from the edited version well, I want to suggest to you that there are a series of reasons. And I'm going to just focus in on, on five of them, just very briefly. And the first one is this. Paul recounts this story to show Paul's Christian confidence in a crisis. To show Paul's Christian confidence in a crisis. Of course... We could say, and we should say, that Paul includes this narrative because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wants it written. But I would suggest to you that part of the reason why it needed to be written was to show Paul's confidence in a crisis. Paul's experience of God, you see, was not just head knowledge. It wasn't just something that he could verbalize but it was a real trust, a genuine expression that was noticed, especially in a time of a terrible trauma. Tim helpfully took us to James chapter 2 this morning and reminded us that it's possible to have a true faith so we think by what we say and yet actually for it not to be a true faith. We can have a head knowledge of Christian doctrine, but then at the end of the day, we haven't true faith. James says, I will show you my faith by what I do. And that's what Paul does, doesn't he, in this journey. He demonstrates a Christian confidence in a crisis because he has true faith in the true 
and living God. He knows that God's in charge. He knows that everything is in God's will. He knows he has to be in Rome because God's told him that that's where he has to testify. And so he knows that the whole of this situation in his life is under the purposes of God for the spread of the gospel, for the cause of the kingdom to reach Rome and even the house of the emperor. Paul would have been able, if he'd known these words, to affirm what John Newton wrote in the second verse of Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me thus safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Actually, those words from that hymn are a wonderful way to start a new year, aren't they? Looking back through the many dangers, toils, and snares, and knowing that the Lord has promised good to me, his word, my hope, secures. Secondly, I want you to notice that this is recorded to show that Paul's confidence arose from his personal relationship with God. Do you see those words in verse 23? The God whose I am and whom I serve. I don't know whether you noticed it, but even if you read the whole of the section from 27 verse 1 through to 28 verse 16, you'll find that the Lord Jesus Christ is not mentioned once. It's interesting that, isn't it? The book of Acts, a lengthy narrative and no mention of the Lord Jesus. But he's there, isn't he? So very clearly. Because you see, Paul knew God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was fully assured that he belonged to God, that he was a child of God, that he was adopted into the family of God because through faith he'd been brought into that relationship And that faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has that lovely testimony, doesn't he? In Galatians 2 and verse 20. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, in gratitude to God, what Paul was doing was living out a life of service. And that is true for every Christian, or should be. We're saved to serve. As Jesus said, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return. And with what attitude? Well, with the attitude that Jesus told us that we should have, that we're unworthy servants only doing our duty. Or as it could be translated, we are servants who are owed nothing. It's all of grace. So we see Paul's confidence arise from his personal relationship with God. 
Thirdly, I want you to notice the importance of praying in all circumstances and for all people. I've heard people say, oh, well, I I get worried about when I pray because I always seem to have so many people I should pray for and it it just seems like a shopping list and, and God knows all these people anyway and shouldn't my prayers be something else? Well, of course, that's not all that our prayers should be. But Paul instructed Timothy, he said, Timothy, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That was good, wasn't it? This morning, we remembered various members of the church and we prayed for them. And this evening, John has done the same thing and reminded us of others whom we need to remember in prayer. And clearly, on that ship, Paul was praying for the whole of the crew. Whenever I fly, and it hasn't been for a long time, one of the prayers that I always pray before takeoff is that the Lord will bless and protect Not only myself, but the crew and all the other passengers. You keep them safe. You bring them safely to our destination. And that's what we should do as the Lord's people. We should be those who pray in all circumstances for all people. Fourthly, to show that the Lord does on occasions still speak directly to his people. We've got that in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 27. By this, I'm not suggesting that there's continuing revelation, for the scriptures are God's final word, and not anything else that others might claim to be a final word from God. The scriptures are complete and sufficient. And neither by saying this do I mean that every believer is going to have that kind of experience. It's not commonplace. It's interesting that five times in Paul's experience, he knows God speaking with him directly. Two are at the start of his missionary service, when of course he is told that he's going to face many troubles and struggles. And then three times in situations of great danger. It's interesting, isn't it? That here's someone who knows God speak into his situation very directly, and yet it's in the midst of him serving in gospel work and at times when he is facing great danger. God does speak. He speaks in times of great difficulty. He speaks in in times of great pressure and danger. And you can read many missionary biographies that will recount that. And I think it's significant that so often we we hear that those who come to faith out of a Muslim background often have an encounter in a vision or dream, either with the Lord Jesus or with an angel. And we all know that for so many of them, in so many of the closed Muslim countries, that the step that they're going to take as they take a step of faith is one that can result in them being ostracized from their family and even to lose their life. And fifthly, and this is evident right the way through, isn't it? To show God's sovereign rule over all things. 
It was a real crisis. It was as if there were forces determined to stop Paul reaching Rome. And of course there were. (laughs) Satan didn't want the gospel to go to the emperor's house. But God was working out his purposes completely. Ephesians 1, 11, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's what was happening. Or as Romans 8, 28 tells us, all things work together for the good of those who love God. You see what he says in verse 25 of chapter 27, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. He knew that God God wanted him in Rome. And by the by, it's interesting, isn't it, that he ends up in Malta, where we're only told that he performs miracles. We're not told that he preaches. And that's probably because the people in Malta didn't speak Greek. But what Paul did, through those demonstrations of God's power at work in and through him, was prepare those people for those who could bring the gospel in their own tongue. So all the way through every stage of the journey, God was at work in ways that would accomplish his purposes. As the writer of Proverbs says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord, not even those of Satan. And Julius saw all of this. But what difference did it make? Well, as I've said, we have no indication in Scripture of what the ultimate outcome in Julius's life was. Maybe a later time he did come to faith. But what he does, as he's recorded in Scripture, is he challenges us to recognize that we can see so much evidence of God in his grace at work And yet because of the hardness of our sinful hearts, reject it all. And so as we finish, I want to leave you with two challenges and one encouragement. And the challenges are these. Firstly, if you're a Christian, as you face 2020 with all its uncertainty, commit yourself in prayer before the Lord to bear a faithful testimony, whatever happens. Bear a faithful testimony, whatever happens. Remember, God knows what he's doing. You are kept and you will reach your ultimate destination. But also remember, you're being observed. And you're not just being observed by angels. You're being observed by members of your family and your neighbours and those with whom you might be working. Second challenge is to those of you who would feel that as yet you've not trusted. And can I just challenge you not to waste the opportunities God gives you to respond to his grace as you see the evidence of God at work in the lives of others, know that God is gracious to you too.
That's the challenge to the Christian and the challenge to those of you who would say, as yet you are not. And the encouragement? Well, whatever the year may hold, every part is subject to the sovereign and gracious purposes of our God. You may have your back to the engine, but the God who has brought you through the past year is the God who is still in charge, and he'll never fail. So keep up your courage, for I believe, God, that it will be just as he has told us in his word. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the way in which you were so graciously and powerfully at work in those circumstances faced by the Apostle Paul. Perhaps for some, as we've read this narrative, they've questioned whether your power was at work because Paul seemed to encounter so much difficulty. And yet, Lord, you proved your power in bringing him safely to the place where you wanted the gospel shared. And Lord, we pray that we too would understand that whatever 2022 holds for us, we can trust you because we know that you will not fail us. You're the God who rules and reigns sovereignly and you will accomplish your gospel purposes in and through us. We may feel like a little boat on unknown or stormy waters as we face this new year. But we pray that you would help us to do so with the conviction that the new creation is our ultimate destination. In every storm, the Father is our harbor of safety. At all times, the Lord Jesus is at the helm and we have the wind of the Spirit in our sails. Gracious God, apply your word to each of us according to our need, we pray, as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can only finish with a hymn with a nautical theme. And the nautical theme is, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Let's uh, stand together to sing our closing hymn, shall we?
Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen.
Give us faith to be strong, Father, we are so weak. Our bodies are fragile and weak. 